If you're looking for strong opinions, loosely held and widely shared, you've come to the right place. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Rumble, young man, rumble. Welcome to the National Talkie League podcast. Uh, I'm Roger Kincaid. This is Dave Ware. We're coming to you in high fidelity. You understand what we're saying here? High fidelity. A lot of podcasts, they just give you fidelity, plain fidelity. We are coming to you in high fidelity. And to prove it, here's an outstanding rendition of the National Talkie League theme song. National Talkie League, it's almost Christmas. National Talkie League, you're in the mall now. National Talkie League, it's freaking crazy. Oh, man. Goosebumps every time. Um, that's an, that's amazing because there are, Dave, there are definitely people that are listening to this podcast while they're cruising the mall. And, you know, you've got your earbuds in. Just look straight ahead and throw your fist out to the right at a 90 degree angle. It's not your fault. Whatever happens, <laughs> it wouldn't be your fault. Uh, it is that week. The malls are because of the, how Christmas falls next Monday. Right. Uh, this is the last week for shopping. And uh, yeah, we uh, we ended up going tonight. So we've got the two kids. And so what you have to do is, uh, you know, kid one has to buy a present for kid two. Mm-hmm. And then also has to get something for mom. So one of you takes kid one. One of you takes kids two. You separate. You do a bit of shopping. Then you meet up. You swap the kids. And then you do the rest of the shopping. Wow. But, so we ended up doing that tonight. Had to be done. You think that's – is that tough? Yeah, it was all right. I was pretty good at it. I was very much like, oh, why don't you just get this? If you can – you know, you can convince people. All it's right. The problem is, is uh, and I believe this about Christmas shopping in general. If you go to the mall and you think, oh, I'm going to go to the Gap. I'm going to find something at the Gap for so-and-so. You're doing okay. Or I'm going to get a pot and a pan. Or probably maybe a set of pots and pans. I don't know. Then I, I can get those at the bay. You're doing great. If you think for a second, I'm just going to walk down the middle of the mall and I'll definitely find something. You are so fucked that you don't even know how <laughs> fucked you are. That is not the way you're, you're, you're toast. You're going to spend three hours walking around and you're going to have nothing to show for it. You, you have to have a plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Go prepared. Um, but tactically speaking, I mean, your whole situation where mom and dad have to split up with a kid each to accomplish the shopping mission. That sounds like it could be uh, a bit of an arduous task, says the non-parent. Yeah. Well, and so it's a, bit, it's a bit of a logic puzzle, right? So if I've got kid one, he has to buy a present for kid two and for mom. And then when I swap out, then kid two only has to buy a present for kid one. We don't have to buy another present. No, for the other kid, right? right yeah, because he's already done that. How do you? Or, sorry, you have to buy one for mom because he's already bought one for the other kid. Anyways, how, how do John and Kate plus eight manage that? <laughs> like that's a riddle. That's a riddle up there with like the fox and the chicken and the grain or whatever it is trying to get yeah, across. That's the right. Yeah, that's pretty much what it becomes. Right. And then you row you row back across with the fox, and then you take the duck and the grain, and then you go back across, and yeah. Uh, no, it was not too bad. The I had the little guy first, and we uh, I also had to get some jeans, so we went, <laughs> we went over to the old navy and actually found something for his brother, uh, who doesn't listen to podcasts. I don't think <laughs> we just have to uh, shield him from this episode until he's right, boxing. Right. Yeah, so we we managed to find something right away, and then then mom's usually pretty easy uh, shopping wise. I'm the one that's tricky because I just buy stuff that I want when I know I want it. Right. And so there's never anything on my list at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I'm so easy to shop for because I, as I've said so many times in the past, I literally want nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of that way too. I mean, we talked about this before, but I like, you know, just draw me a picture. Right. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. Don't don't spend a ton of money on me. I don't need that, especially for my kids, right? See, yeah, it's my mom, right? Like the 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 funny thing in my in my family is that like my sister's got four kids and my brother's got one. And so I've said to my parents in the past, like, you know, I think the best thing is to just take whatever you were thinking about spending on me and just spend it on the grandkids because that's like way more fun, right? Like I open up an Eaton's box with some socks and a sweater in it and it's kind of like, all oh, right, good stuff, you know. Like and I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful or anything like that, but that doesn't compare to like a six-year-old shredding paper to get to the Lego set or to get to the Star Wars toy. You know what I mean? So you said Eaton's. <laughs> so, um, uh, so anyway, I'm sure by the way that there's like the moms who reuse gift boxes. There's like, there's people that are going to open an Eaton's box this Christmas morning. It's a guy in his forties. Uh, but like, yeah, so that's kind of my point, but, but still my mom's like, no, you know, she wants to get something for her little boy and, and we don't yeah. have any kids. So she still wants to buy stuff for me and my wife. And I mean, and I could, yeah, it's sweet. I love it. I could totally understand that when my kids are older, I'm still going to want to get them stuff, even though they're old and they're like, don't get me stuff, get stuff for the grandkids. I'll be like, but you're my kid, right? The perfect. Stop being my kid just because you're older. Right. Yeah. My, my, my mom gave me, and she's done this for the past two years. I think it was actually my idea. I told her to, but I said, buy me a bag of charcoal, right? Which is, if you think about it, like if anybody who knows me would see me receive a bag of charcoal and go, that is probably the perfect gift for that guy. He loves to barbecue and he doesn't want things. So you've given him something that he's supposed to burn. (laughs) And he'll make you food with it probably. Yeah. And it's going to be a great day. Like, you know, that's my Zen place, right? (laughs) And it's, it's almost like getting you a lump of coal, which is great. (laughs) The irony is like baked right in uh, as is the pun. Um, Yeah. No, Sandy, I'm I'm almost done. I did I did everything online. I really did it this year. I'm so proud of myself. Nice. Yeah, I did a lot of Amazoning for sure. Because uh, what I find is I'm sitting at the the day job. I'm sitting at the desk. I can get stuff done, right? I can get some shopping happening. Uh, so I did a lot of that. But then occasionally you have to actually go out and buy things. I guess you don't have to if you're not prepared. If you're not planning well. If you're listening to this podcast and hoping to still get something from Amazon, you better be <laughs> moving on it now. <laughs> you know, if you got Prime, I think that you've probably got until like maybe Wednesday and you're rolling the dice. But uh, see, you're 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 dreaming now because I ordered stuff on Prime last week that still hasn't shown up. I think they're far behind this year. Are they? Okay. Yeah, well, they've yeah, got they like are. what's with the Amazon and like the plain clothes delivery guy and the Mazda hatchback, like. Like, I, I don't mind. Hey, you know, if, however it gets to my house, hell or high water or hatchback, but it just sort of seems weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's not well, a lot, they, like they're in such, they're in such, you know, desperation to, to get delivery drivers that there's been no protocol for it. Like it's basically like, can you fog a mirror? Do you have a driver's license? No, they probably don't even ask that. Can you fog a mirror? Do you have a car? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, your Uber driver. Uh, yeah. Could you drop these packages off for <laughs> What? <laughs> What? I can't do that. <laughs> That's probably the the next disruption, right? Like just having people that, you know, are in the area of the or Uber drivers that are in the area of the Amazon warehouse to go ahead and fulfill these deliveries. Why not? Eh? They, they were doing that uh, Uber Eats. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. In the States? Yeah. Where they just like drive around with burgers. 
Yeah. Well, they've got it in, in, in parts of Canada too. I think they might even have it in Calgary now. I, I don't know. I use skip, uh, skip the dishes, but there's like, there's a, I don't know what they're all called. I know of Uber Eats and skip the dishes. I think there's one or two more that I haven't used, but, um, that's a bit suspect too. Like, I just feel like, you, you know, it's, it's one thing like when the pizza delivery driver is employed by, um, by the, by the, you know, the pizza joint, but it's like, what if you order like, you know, $150 worth of Chinese food for like a big birthday party or something like that. Um, at, at some point the driver's going to see the order and go jackpot. Like <laughs> I don't need to deliver this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Hey, uh, so we had a national talkie league, uh, summit this week, this weekend. That's live summit. Oh, that's right. We sorry, I didn't know what you were talking about. But yes, we did. We did have a gathering, a meeting of minds, and uh, I can. Uh, I'm pleased to report that we used power tools and all went well. Yay! And I didn't cut anything off of myself. Are you going to share that picture of the of our of our craftsmanship on the yes, on the website? Uh, there's so there's two pictures. I took one of us while we were in in your garage doing some building, and then I have some pictures of the finished product, uh, and we'll put both of those up on the the site. Uh, so yeah, so I had this idea. I like to do the Christmas lights. I like to have a lot of lights bouncing off stuff and, and sort of make everything. It's not just Christmas lights. It's winter lights as I've discussed because they're not going anywhere on December 26th. Um, but what I noticed this year was, uh, I, last year I used the big floodlight. You know what I'm talking about when I say floodlight, like yep. the big incandescent three seconds after it goes on, you can't touch it anymore. It's so hot. Right. It floods and an it, area with light, David. It literally just, it, floods it, it an literally area. It literally does. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, what I had noticed was that since I had started doing this and having these floodlights on all the time, and also since I bought a hot tub that my, uh, you know, when you get that thing from the government that says, you know, the average house in your neighborhood uses this much energy, your house uses this much energy. Well, my house was way over. <laughs> so. So I, uh, I did a couple things. I, uh, I got a little thing to keep the heat in the hot tub in the hot tub. Hopefully that'll knock it down a little bit anyway. Uh, and then I decided to get these, uh, they have these 15 watt floodlights that you can get on Amazon and you can change colors with them. It's kind of cool, right? So you can put whatever color you want on. And I was thinking, oh, this is great, right? Valentine's rolls around. I'm going to have them go red. St. Patrick's Day, they're going green, right? Like I can, I can totally like color the entire year. This will be amazing. But the problem that I have this time of year is that they're all kind of pointed at the garden. And this time of year, there's no leaves on anything. There's nothing to bounce the light off of. Right. And those ones aren't particularly like as, as strong as the, uh, the regular floods. And so I came up with this idea to, uh, to have these little uh, like white colored fake Christmas trees made out of plywood. So I could bounce the light off of something. And then, of course, I'm, I'm not that masterful with tools and things like that. So I, uh, I texted Roger and said, Hey, this is my idea. What do you think? And so Roger came up with some ideas and then we kind of threw some more ideas around, came up with something that worked. And then I went and bought some wood, brought it over to Rogers. And then we built some trees out of other trees. Yeah. See chain of life, circle of life, brother. It's fun, right? Spending a day in the garage making stuff out of wood. The only thing that was missing was a, a couple of cameras so that we could have made a really great YouTube tutorial out of it. Oh, that would have been brilliant. No, they look nice, man. They turned out pretty fun, I think. Yeah, no, thank you so much for that. They yeah. look they do look really good. And even during the day when there's no no lights colored on them, they look great. Uh nice. so I uh, I ended up 
uh, I, the one mistake I made was I bought spray paint because I thought that the spray paint would be enough to give them. I brought t- two cans of spray paint. All it did was basically give me a primer coat. Right. right? Okay. <laughs> so I went back the next day and I bought just a little can of, you know, trim clad rust paint. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I hit that both sides because I wanted to protect the back as well because I don't want it to get weathered. So I hit those. I gave them maybe three coats or something like that until they were actually white and you couldn't read the name of the plywood coming through that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, I had also gone to Michael's and got $8 worth of glitter, of which I used, I think, 14 cents worth of glitter. Uh, so I have glitter for the rest of my life, I think. And it will be in the garage for the rest of my life. Um, so then I put the, uh, the like, not Varathane, but... Um, Var- uh, yeah, varnish. A varnish or a yeah. coat, a poly something, whatever. Protective coat. And then while that was drying, or right after I put it on, I kind of stood there and I shook the the glitter all over them. So they look, even during the day, they kind of sparkle and they look really nice like uh, Christmas trees. And then, so those floodlights, like I said, I can change a different color. So, you know, every night for the rest of the, the season, I can just go out there and go tonight. It's green night and switch them up. And then I ended up buying five more of those floodlights. So I had three wow. in the front yard. I bought five more because we have five trees in the backyard and each tree has a different color. Just those little C6 LED lights, right? Yeah. And each tree has a different color. So I put a floodlight kind of in the crook of each tree shining up into the tree. And so there's a blue one and a pink one and a green one and a red one and a purple one. And so those lights, as well as the floodlight, I was able to match all those colors. So how much are they? Picture that. How much are they? They're $25. Each. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, if they're like 10 bucks, I might go get five of those. I was, well, I, I, I bought a couple cause I wanted to test them out. And then I was really excited about them. And I was like, I love this. This is like so much beautiful color in the world. Cool, so, man. Yeah, I spent yeah. like I spent five hundred bucks on a barbecue. So there you go. And during the summer, they could just be white light, right? Right. So. Yeah. I yeah. like that. I like this. I like how you yeah. talk about that Nmax letter. I get that too. And it's like you use more power than eighty-seven percent. And I always wonder who these thirteen percent are. Like I'm coming to get you. Identify <laughs> yourselves. Oh, I'm like a hundred and four or something. Oh, are like you? That, right? That's wicked. One hundred and four percent of the average or something like that. So. Actually, I think I've got one on my desk around here somewhere. I should try to find it. But seriously, I'm like, I'll leave the doors open, the windows open. I'm trying to get the insulation taken out of my attic. Like, I want to win. I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> I just, uh, just turn the microwave. I just leave it all day. I, just leave it I use the stove to heat the house. You know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we got so much to get to on this podcast. And um, I hope that it doesn't make you angry as you are cruising into the Christmas season. I mean, we got some touchy stuff to talk about. Um, I think that, uh, you know, as, as Dave continues his journey of discovery on Ben Shapiro YouTube videos, uh, he's, he's uh, finding a lot to talk about. It's pretty funny to me because, like, I've, uh, uh, I've, I've watched all the same videos that you have. I think I, what you're doing with Ben Shapiro videos, I did like maybe six or seven months ago. And so now I feel like I have like this time delayed conversation, like, oh yeah, I've been waiting to have this chat since April. <laughs> so, uh, so just to back up a step. So, yeah, sure. uh, so we were having wings. This was another, we've been getting together a lot lately. Roger. That's good. This yeah. is crazy. So we got together with a bunch of buddies and, uh, one of our buddies, uh, I was talking to him about the, uh, that concept where can't, uh, I believe what I was telling was in regards to bill 24 and the Jason Kenny thing, where if you say anything other than, then 
Jason Kenny's completely wrong, you get labeled as a, you know, a homophobe or, you know, you're anti-gay. <laughs> right. And, and so I was trying to express that there, there is an opinion that you can have where you can say I'm pro GSA. However, I have issues with this particular bill or the powers that it might represent. So of course, anyone who's trying to throw some emotion into the politics is instantly going to say, well, no, that's absolutely wrong. And you're racist or, or, or you know, right. Homophobic for saying that, not racist, probably, <laughs> unless they're being weird. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I was trying to bring that point up. And so this guy said, oh, you know what? Uh, you should listen to Ben Shapiro. That sounds a lot like like his sort of take on things. And so, uh, you know, being an open-minded guy, I did. And I started listening to his podcast. And I was, I think I was telling you this, but the first thing I found myself doing when I turned the podcast on was trying to suss the guy out. Which side are you on? Right. Who do you, you know, and I was like, wow. That's what we've become, right? The mm-hmm. second I turn this guy on and knowing that he's going to talk about politics, I want to label him. I want to put him in a box. And I'm like, that's that's a terrible thing in this day and age that we have to do that or that we that's the gut assumption. That's the go-to, right? Which side of the, the fence are you on? And I was like, okay, so let's not do that a little bit. And I find that uh, I agree with a lot of things he says and I disagree with a lot of things he says. I find that sometimes he's very logical and sometimes he's missing a step in his logic or he makes a little jump somewhere, but uh, he's really good at arguing with people and he's really good at doing it in a way that it's hard to, you know, take any points off of the guy. Yeah. Now, having said that, it seems like everything's a home game for him, right? Like you're listening to his podcast and you're listening to it. So, I mean, every, like I like, I, I, I'm interested in Ben Shapiro when he's speaking and when he's taking questions from the audience, but he's speaking and he's taking questions from the audience. You know, he's not debating his peers. And I've yeah. seen situations where he's debating his peers and he smokes them, but I, I, you know, I don't think he's peerless. Like I do think that there might be somebody, um, Hang on a second. I should color in here as well that he's been on CNN numerous times and I've seen him uh, shake down some, uh, you know, some panelists on CNN. But I, I do imagine that there's a good debate to be had out there, like a Fraser Ali, uh, you know, starring Ben Shapiro as probably Joe Frazier. No, I don't know. But um, uh, do you know what I mean? It's just like it, maybe yeah. it maybe it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, like a Christopher Hitchens back in the day, or uh, sure, you know, I don't know who it would be, but. Yes, it would be somebody on the left, right? Because he's he's certainly conservative. Uh, although I love the fact that he doesn't just you know back up whatever any conservative says. That he's willing to take anybody to task if sure. they're making a dumb argument for a dumb reason. Uh, and so he tries to center a lot of his arguments around logic. But having said that, you know sometimes he he, he has his own little fallacies that he likes to throw in there. Uh, anyways, he might be worth checking out if you're if you're into uh, people who just sort of like uh, you know look at the argument. I like to make an argument for the sake of the argument. You know, I don't like, uh, what am I, a referee, I guess? I don't like it when I go on Reddit or something like that and some, someone says something that's just clearly false. <laughs> even if I even if I disagree with their political state uh, stance or even if I completely agree with their political stance, I hate it when people do, you know, make ridiculous arguments up just to try to score a point in some online argument. It's crazy, right? Right. Um yeah, I mean, I, I sort of struggle sometimes because I don't like to, t- I don't, I don't know, I try, I try not to make it a habit of trying to figure out where, where the line blurs between, you know, rational argument and then just ideology. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm guilty of, 
of that very sin myself. But, you know, I try to, I try to check myself as best I can. And if I find out I'm wrong about something, I'm pretty thrilled to be wrong about it. I mean, like my, my most famous and notorious, um, see the light moment. I used to just be just this ardent, like anti, uh, anti addict, right? Um, so that, you know, when I lived in Vancouver and I could see the heroin problem on the downtown east side, I viewed them all as criminals. They should be taken to jail. They should be forced to clean up. And then, you know, somebody kind of expressed to me, like, look, imagine how impractical that is. Like heroin addiction is a wave, right? It's, 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 it's like a, it's a, it's a stream. It's a river that's flowing. People are constantly uh, getting into it for various reasons. And so since this is not something that we can effectively nip in the bud, we have to manage it as best we can. And the best way to do that with as little cost on the general public as possible is to probably help these people manage their addictions rather than try to use the courts and the prison system to, to, to manage it. So, yeah, I mean, if you, if, yeah, anyway, I'm kind of getting off on a bit of a, a tangent here, but, um, that's just a, a, a time in my life where I was, I, you know, saw the, saw the light, saw a better way and, and completely changed my mind about something. doesn't make me, that's by the way, that's a very left wing thing or is it? So here's my challenge to you. Okay. Like what is left wing? Is it socialism or is it more government? Like is left wing communism or is it higher taxes? Like, how do you define left wing versus right wing? Is is right wing capitalism, or is it just less government intervention in people's lives? Yeah, that's a good question. Sorry, are you actually no, asking it's, me? No, it's rhetorical for sure. Sorry, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the way I phrase, I didn't phrase it rhetorically, and I also left that beat there, which made everybody think that somebody had to answer. But <laughs> no, but but but. Uh, no, so anyway, my point being, right, that it's like if somebody comes into the room and says, look, we need more harm reduction, we need more safe injection clinics, and we need to uh, treat uh, junkies as though they're addict, you're immediately going to think, oh, this person's a progressive uh, socialist uh, left winger, right? And then right. if that person at the end of it says, because that's way cheaper, uh, way less of a burden on the public institutions of justice, and uh, uh, you know it's uh, it, it it doesn't interfere in people's liberty as much. Then all of a sudden, that person is just nothing but a libertarian or a hardcore right winger who just doesn't want the state intervening in people's ability to put drugs in their arms. Well, and I was reading today that someone was talking about left wing, right wing, that kind of thing. And they were saying, oh, well, I think it was in, in terms of Alberta politics. And they were saying, well, you know, people who live in the cities, people who are better educated, people who are wealthier tend to vote left wing. And I was like, wait, 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 whoa, hang on. Okay. I might agree that generally uh, large populations tend to vote more left not necessarily Canadian left, but like in the States, right? Most of the big cities tend to vote democratic. Okay. Right. I'll just, yes? I, I just, I'll, I'll accept the argument for the purpose okay. of this conversation. So the, the idea is that the more, the more rural places tend to vote more right wing, that the bigger population centers tend to have more people who tend to vote left wing. I think that's generally true. You know, places like Los Angeles, New York, they vote democratic places like Idaho, places like uh, Montana, they tend to vote uh, uh, Republican. Right. So, but but that was the basis of their argument, and then they said, "Well, well, you know, people who are better better educated tend to vote more left wing too." That could end up being true. I don't know if Canada that's the same case, but in the states that does tend to be true that people who are more college college educated people tend to vote more 
democratically. But then they said people who are wealthier. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like the, the fundamental core of Republican conservatism in the United States is based around get your hands off my money. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's that whole, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a uh, conservative, if you're not voting, you know, Republican or conservative by the time you're 40, there's something wrong with you. Right? Because yeah. you're trying to keep what you've got by that point. So I thought that was very funny that, but then it's that, uh, it's that, I'm making a good pointer from all over the place, but uh, you're familiar with Adam Carolla's rich man, poor man. Go on. So it's the concept where you come up with something that applies to someone who's really poor or who's really rich. Right. And not necessarily to the people in the middle. So I'm trying to think of a good example right now, but it's like, you know, walks around in a bathrobe all day. Right. Yeah. Right. So really rich people could do that. Really poor people could do that. So, um, so yeah, maybe that's the thing, right? Like, so really poor people will vote conservatively and really rich people will, but the people in the middle won't. I don't, I don't. You know, I think that, that Bill Gates has taught us the most sound fundamental lesson in, in wealth redistribution in the 20th century. And here's a guy who, um, you know, sorry, I'm kind of fuzzy on the world rankings of wealth through the uh, latter part of the 1900s, but uh, I believe he topped the list at least once or twice. He might have been a, a sporty second to some Middle Eastern Shah for, for a period as well. But anyway, my point being is that this guy's basically single-handedly uh, managing AIDS and, uh, you know, wiping out malaria with money that he's made himself and gone to other wealthy people and said, Hey, why don't you get on, 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 you know, get, get on board with me here. This is kind of a cool peace train I'm driving. So, um, I just sort of look at the power of capital in the individual's hands and I really don't know how you can dispute that when you allow, uh, incredibly wealthy people, um, the unfettered ability to change the world with their money, they'll probably do it. They might do it for self-serving purposes. Whenever I see somebody's name on the side of a hospital, I'm always like, all right, well, that's nice. And he got his name on the hospital too. Right? <laughs> so, it, but it's like, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done incredible things. And I would argue that incredible things that no government could do because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation can manage its own bloat without having to answer to lobbyists or try to protect people's jobs on a, on a by the Olympiad basis, right? Well, and so maybe your question from before, you know, what what's the difference between left wing and left wing and right wing? Maybe the question, the only question you need to ask someone is, how do you feel about the estate tax? Okay, yeah, yeah, no. Right. So the idea that above a certain amount of money, uh, you're taxed at a higher rate when you leave that money to your children after you die. And part of me was like, that's it's kind of ridiculous to think that if I work my whole life and put a bunch of money together that I want to give to my kid that the government should say, Oh no, 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 you can't do that. You have to give it back. You have to give it to uh, more less fortunate people. Yeah. Part of me is like, that's what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Right? yeah the, the, Why would I bother then? What, what's the point of creating wealth? If all I'm going to have to do is give it back. And I mean, there's probably someone who's pretty left wing who's listening to this podcast. Who's you know, screaming at us right now. I, I would say there's, there's a point, maybe there is a number we could throw on it, you know, after, I don't know, 20 million bucks or something like that. Yeah, then, well, you can, then you can jack the rate up a little higher because maybe nobody needs more than that amount. No, fuck I, that. I, what do you, fuck that. What do you mean nobody needs more than well, that? I'm going to kick you off your own podcast if you keep that shit up. I don't know. If I gave my kid 20 million bucks, he's, 
He's probably not working very much for the rest of his life. I got to make him earn it a little okay, bit. Okay, look, fair enough. And Warren Buffett's got that attitude too, right? But that doesn't mean that you hand your money over to the government no, because that's, your kids that's well a good point. off. Yeah, you you give it to you know children's hospitals or baseball stadiums or baseball teams or baseball players or wow. you know Cuban baseball players or Puerto Rican baseball players. You give it to Puerto Rico, Dave. That's what you give your money to. In fact, if I kill you during this podcast, all of your money is going to Puerto Rico. Kidding. They can have the Lego too. <laughs> no, but like, you know, why, why stop there? Like, why wait till someone dies? If you favor the estate tax, then, then let the government audit you on an annual basis, take stuff you're not using, and sell it for the benefit of the nation. Right? Like, I got a, I've got a Pathfinder parked in the garage for the better part of a year and a half. That thing's worth at least eight hundred bucks on Kijiji. Maybe Justin Trudeau should come hook up some, hook it up to a tow truck and and sell that thing so that we can. Oh, I don't know go into debt or whatever it is he's doing these days. Maybe he can use that money not going to Japan or maybe he can use that money botching trade deals with China. But like truly, right? I mean, if, if you're pro estate tax, then you're clearly pro, you know, giving shit to the government that they don't deserve. I get income tax. Like I get that we've all got to pay our way, but fuck you, a windfall for Ottawa just because you die. That's bullshit, man. And people who support that don't understand what, what legacy is and what hard work is. Well, because they feel that they're going to get some of it. That's the thing, right? That somehow the government's going to go, oh, well, we got way more money. So here, you don't have to pay us as much anymore person who doesn't earn as much. Right. And why would you like, even if you favor the estate tax, like it is okay. If you favor an inheritance tax, work with me here, I'm getting abstract. Okay. You're, 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 you're in favor of the notion that when you're dead, your, you know, your, your life, you did everything with the help of, of the society around you. Right. So you owe a debt of gratitude and why not pay that debt in cash? But why the government, like, why should they get out? Like, what can you name another institution in this country that mismanages more money on a regular basis than the government? <laughs> you know what? That's a really interesting point that you just made. I'm just starting to think this through. So, so really, what it's saying is, when you die, all the things that you have worked for and all the money that you have are no longer yours. Yeah, and no one that is related to you has a claim to them. They belong to the state. Like, that's crazy, right? Well, yeah. That's crazy. So you're right. And how about instead of uh, creating an estate tax, or even if they do create an estate tax, um, what if you could just break up that uh, that estate into a bunch of chunks and say, okay, well, I'm going to leave the $20 million to my kids, right? Because I'm going to have this problem for sure. <laughs> I have well more than $20 million. Uh, so twenty million goes to my kids, and uh, you know what? I'm going to leave fifteen million to Roger. Good idea. And uh, I'm going to leave another fifteen million to my other buddy, uh, to Keith. And I'm going to leave another fifty. You know, so there you go. We've uh, we've skirted around that because we're giving it to a bunch of people just because it doesn't have to be the government. Do you think the government would be okay with that? I bet you they would. <laughs> They'd be happy to know that you're redistrib- redistributing your wealth. Yeah, for them, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I, I'd become them. and they they get none of it. They'd be, they'd love that, right? Yeah, and you'd be creating one percenters. Yeah, you lots know? of them. <laughs> well, at least at least three that you named there. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! It's uh, well, let's bring this down to down to ground level and uh, uh, talk about the um, uh, the provincial picture, which I think uh, got a little cementy last week. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Yeah. 
So uh, do all of you talkies at home like groove along to that song every time we play it? Because I know I do. It's too bad that the, we're, we're governed by fair use policy and we can't just like let that thing jam. <laughs> you know? um, but, what, but go on YouTube and, and uh, watch the University of Nebraska Cornhuskers fans sing that en masse during a game. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I like that. I'm going to do that. Uh, yeah, we could actually, uh, no, I won't spark it up. Um, that'll be your homework. Um, yeah, no. So, so anyway, Jason Kenny, he, he won by a very narrow margin in his by, <laughs> in his by election. Well, the, you know, the, the, the people on Reddit would have you believe that he just squeaked that thing. Right. Like, Oh my God, how, he almost got beat there. 80% or it doesn't count, man. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I can't remember how much we talked about this last week, but it was, I mean, obviously he was going to win. There was no question, right? People yeah. were saying, oh, of course he ran there. It was a very conservative riding. Well, yeah, of course he did. I think if Notley was going to run, she'd be running in, you know, Bicycle or, uh, you know, downtown Edmonton, which, which would it be? Yeah, and I, I you know, it's kind of his stomping ground too, right? In that south part of Calgary. I mean, listen, Kenny's, I mean, Kenny won an election. Uh it was the year that the conservatives won the majority government. Jason Kenney won his election. I don't think he was actually in his riding during the entire campaign, except maybe to do some laundry and then like fly back out east. I mean, like, you know, he's a pretty popular politician in that area. So it was an absolute no brainer. I, I did enjoy like whatever uh, commentary there was that it was actually going to be a bit of a fight, which was kind of ludicrous. But uh, anyway, um, so what what yeah. interested me more was the damage control, right? So that you know, there's, again, there's always going to people, regardless left or right, the, the losing side is always going to come up with reasons as to why the loss happened. In this case, they didn't need to. The reason the loss happened is because they picked the most conservative writing they could possibly find. That's why you lost. But you try to find the silver lining. So you say things like, "Well, you know, he only won by seventy three percent. It wasn't eighty. So that's something, right? And someone was trying to convince me that, well, if you look at the Woodbine results or, you know, they were much closer. Oh, yeah. So he only won by 64% there. So, yeah, that's something, you know, there's no silver lining in this thing for the NDP. No. There never was going to be. So I think even trying to find one is just dumb if someone tried to argue that there was a silver line. It, there's, there was never going to be that. In fact, what it comes down to for me is you look at the number of NDP voters or the votes that the NDP turned out, their numbers were down from the last election. So there was less NDP vote there. And so they're going to say to you, of course, well, why would we bother going out voting? It's Kenny's riding. He was going to win. And I can accept that. That's that's fair enough. But uh, I, I on the other hand. I can't accept that. Sorry. The, Go, well, the, sorry. Going, yeah. the, if, if, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> These are the same people that the week before were con convincing everyone that, oh, he's in for trouble. He's going to get it now. We're going to get out there. And so like that's that's my question is if this is the leader of the opposition party that you're trying to vote down, why wouldn't everybody, every person in that riding who leans towards the NDP, why wouldn't they get out there and just try to humiliate the shit out of him? Right. So either they did. And there is an incredibly small number of them, or they didn't bother, which to me says, well, you can't even be bothered to show up for this, to take on the leader of the other party. Where the hell are you going to be in a year and a half? Right. Look, what the, what people need to do on the, on the left side of the spectrum is accept the fact that this conversation has changed. It's a very different one now. Okay. Um, there were a lot of people that voted NDP out of spite 
Okay. Out of spite of the PCs, a party that was falling apart that they didn't trust and that was kind of bungled a little bit by Jim Prentice saying, you know, look in the mirror and, uh, and, and such and such. Um, and that just didn't trust Brian Jean. Okay. And the liberals mailed it in. It was just the liberals didn't even compete in the last election. How many people, when they heard that the NDP won the government of Alberta, first said, what? And then vowed not to tell anyone that they cast a ballot for the NDP out of protest or because they just parked their vote somewhere, right? So listen, this this is just a fact and I'm not – like – I feel legitimately bad for progressives who have their balloon filled with hope and it's going to get deflated because they, they think that the NDP are a bigger machine than they really are from the, from the electorate standpoint. But look, there aren't that many people, particularly in Calgary, that want to see an NDP government sent back to the legislature. This election in, in, um, in, 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 on Thursday, it wasn't a message. Like they weren't sending a message to the NDP. They were just doing what they always do. They were voting for a credible conservative candidate. That's what happens in, in, in particularly in the Southwest of Calgary. So like there's, I think that the tea leaves, look, if you want to read tea leaves, there's two things you got to look at. First of all, look at the stuff Press Progress is writing. Okay. Like I, lo- I, I enjoy reading Press Progress. It's kind of fun the same way that I enjoy reading The Rebel. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they're speaking to their crowd and it's, it's torqued up news. There's this piece I read about like all the dog whistle politics that Jason Kenney was pulling in, in, at this uh, convention in Red Deer. And I'm like, all right, yeah, this is pretty torquey. I can see how people would get off on this kind of political pornography. Um, but it, so it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to engineer the storyline of what the UCP is. The second thing is nobody seems to want to run the Alberta party. Like nobody seems to want to step up and go, yeah, you know, that's the centrist party. Like Kenny's a real problem. And the reason this is happening is because most Albertans and I'm, and when I say most Albertans, I mean the squishy middle Dave. I mean the people who don't talk politics at the office all the time. And I mean the people that, you know, aren't going to put an NDP or a UCP sign on their front lawn. I mean the people who just, they, all they want to do, they just want to do what I want to do. They just want to get up at six, eat some breakfast, go to work, come home, have a drink and maybe have sex with their wife. Right. It's like all of those people, the squishy middle, they don't think that voting for uh, for fiscal restraint means you're homophobic. Okay. Those are people who think that, you know, uh, that, that don't equate, uh, getting rid of the carbon tax with wanting to out gay kids. So that's, those are the people that make elections in this province. And there are way more of them than there are diehards on either end of the spectrum. And so this conversation basically has to be about, um, is is somebody going to capture that middle or is this UCP party alienating that middle? They've got plenty of time to do it. Prentice did it in a very short period of time and cost the, you know, cost the, that election. So yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I think that a United, a United conservative party is basically a shoe in at this point, And I would wager heavily on them to win the next election. Well, for sure. Uh, I mean, and we'll talk about that in a minute here. I've got some numbers, but um it was it, the thought just occurred to me that if there's anybody out there who can't understand why, and I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm a Trump fan, I'm definitely not. I think the guy's a big fucking buffoon. <laughs> but if there's anybody out there who can't understand why he got the number of votes he did and why he did so well, it's you're about to see it happen here because what's going to happen for the next year and a half is 
Rachel Notley is going to keep telling you what a horrible human being Jason Kenney is and how horrible you'd have to be to vote for him. Right. And, you know, exactly. Oh, you have no morals. You have no reason to vote for this person. And you know what? If you're not a person who's inclined to vote left, what you're going to get tired of is your premier telling you that you're homophobic and your premier telling you that you're not woke and you're <laughs> telling you that, you know, you're not a good person if you vote for this guy. And pretty soon you're going to be like, well, you can go fuck yourself because I'm going to vote for that guy. That's what happened with Trump. And that's what's going to happen here. And and that's not the only reason that the conservatives are going to win. So uh, we were we were in this discussion. I was in this discussion on Reddit. As you know, I'm, I'm very restrained. <laughs> and I often can can keep from saying things on there. Uh, and so there's some discussion about Calgary Lougheed. Uh, and uh, so someone said Calgary Lougheed's not a true swing riding provincially in Alberta. The only reason it was so close last time in that reading and that riding was a split conservative vote, like a few other ridings in Calgary and some rural ridings, <laughs> some, a few, some, those are the words <laughs> that you'd be using. Someone said, well, that's what happened everywhere outside of Edmonton. And this person again said, no, there was a bunch of ridings in rural areas, small cities and towns, and even Calgary, where the Alberta NDP performed close to or even above the combined Wild Rose PC vote. So I thought, well, I don't really believe that, but I haven't also checked the numbers. It's been my belief for quite some time that if you add those two numbers together, that, you know, the, those, those combined vote. So we'll call it the UCP now. Right. Okay. Uh, would have, would have cleaned house. Right. And, and certainly won a majority. So I think, well, this is what I think, but do I know this? I don't know this. So let's go and check. So I go to, there's a Wikipedia page for the Alberta general election. I go and I start looking through it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count. I'm going to go through and I'm going to find all of the writings or I'm going to find all the places where the NDP uh, candidate won. I'm going to add up in my head because I'm not great with math, but I can do two <laughs> numbers. I can add together the wild rose and the PC vote and see, is that number bigger than the NDP, right? If the wild rose or the conservative party won, that's fine because that's not what we're talking about. I'm not trying to prove them right or wrong. All I'm trying to say is, did the NDP vote? Was it bigger than the two combined? That's what I'm trying to, to figure out. So I start looking through it. So it starts with Edmonton. And what you'll find if you look through it is every single seat in Edmonton was a majority NDP victory, right? So 51, 52% or higher, much higher in some cases, 70%. Uh, and then you have what they call Edmonton suburbs. Again, 100% Edmonton. So you're at about 20 some odd seats there, right? 100% Edmonton. No question about it. NDP was ahead. Okay. Okay. So now we're on to the rest of the province. Okay. And so I, I, I'll ask you the question, but I asked you the question earlier. Now you already know the answer. Right. So what what number? Um, and should I, I let me take the other the other uh, parts out of the equation first? So uh, Greg Clark from the Alberta Party did it. He he beat the combined vote. Right. Okay. And won a majority in his riding. And David Swan for the Liberals. Uh, beat the two. He also had an NDP candidate, so there was it was like a four-way split on that vote. David Swan also did better than the two combined. Okay, so taking those two out of the equation, how many ridings left of the eighty-seven minus the twenty that the NDP took in Edmonton, and minus those two that we just talked about? How many of the remaining ridings do you think the NDP outpolled or outnumbered the combined vote? We'll call it the UCP vote, but it was the Wild Rose and the PC. How many writings are we talking about here? Right. So for the record, I said zero. You said zero. The correct answer was three. Actually, it's uh, it's 
sorry, is uh, one, two, it's four, actually, I believe is the true number. All right. There are four writings. And to be fair, this person said uh, pulled close to or above. And so I wasn't looking for closer because there were a few seats that were pretty darn close where the combined was like 0.2% higher. Okay. But and there was a few where it was within about 5%. But in those cases, you would still lose, right? Yeah. Horses if those votes right, were yeah. exactly the same. Well, I'm not saying they are because we're a year and a half off an election. But if we took those exact numbers, we combined those two right votes, Wild Rose and PC, what does our legislature look like? And I'll tell you right now, it's, you know. 60 some odd seats for the UCP is what it is. Right. And 20 for the NDP. They become the official opposition. Uh, Greg Clark still gets a seat. David Swan still gets a seat. Uh, sorry. And Joe CC was one of the ones who did it in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, popular alder, or, uh, alderman, a council person. So he no, took no, his a, seat. He was an alderman. He was never a counselor oh, okay. to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was the other writings were uh, Spruce Grove, St. Albert. Uh, Lethbridge East, which was really close, and then apparently Lethbridge West, where it was a, a bit of a shellacking, 22% higher than the combined vote. But that's what we're talking about. And I don't know uh, that candidate. It was Shannon Phillips? Shannon Phillips, Shannon Phillips yeah. So I don't, I don't know Shannon Phillips. Maybe she's you know, well-known in that area because that's the thing, right? You get a candidate who's really popular, maybe the former mayor of a small town. They're going to win hands down, right, regardless of what party they're running, so. But the point here being that I, I hadn't actually looked up the numbers before. I had always assumed that was the case. But if you're telling me that, you know, Rachel Notley and the NDP haven't looked at those numbers and that that's not keeping them up late at night going, oh, my God, those two parties have now combined together. And those votes, if if those people continue to vote in the same fashion, we are only going to win Edmonton. Right. That's it. And a couple of seats, maybe in Lethbridge. Well, you know, Joe CC might get reelected. I mean, he's the he's uh, he's in a riding where you know he served him as a councillor. He's a bit of a household name down there, and you know that might also be one of those ridings where you just don't, you know, you you just don't invest a lot of time and money putting a you know a very strong horse in there. Um, you're right. I don't know Shannon Phillips um, before she was. Um, uh, uh, an elected MLA. I do know that she was at the Alberta Federation of Labor. She worked for them in some capacity and she's now the environment minister and she sure hated having to uh, uh, explain to Albertans that it was cheaper to open up those golf courses in Kananaskis again. That's about really all I know about <laughs> Shannon Phillips. I did enjoy an interview with her one time. Um, uh, anyway, I, uh, I'll get off it. Um, no, listen, it's, it's like I say, Dave, I mean, I think that, that, and I wonder if what you think of this prediction, I think that we're going to see pretty much entirely identity politics in this next, uh, election. I think that there will be like a, a spattering of economic discussion about, uh, you know, carbon tax, obviously, um, the minimum wage, although boy, you sure can't take the minimum wage away, right? Like that's a good way to turn, you know, Joe six pack against you by telling him he's going to get a pay cut. Um, And besides the other, like, sorry, just as a quick aside, is everyone in on the scam, by the way, like that the increasing the minimum wage was something that socialists believe would add income tax to their roles? Like, are we all? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. 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 It doesn't. All those that weren't uh, (laughs) recording their tips before. 
Right. Now we can get a little more cash off. Of that, that's the point, right? Now it doesn't do that. First of all, it's like really cheap retail politics because it's, it's, you know, really simple mathematics to just tell people, oh, you, you know, you make $10 now. If you make $15, that's like a 50% increase. So that's what we're going to do. And then people just gobble that shit up and they don't even think twice about, you know, you know, what the downstream effect of it are. But anyway, for the, for the, uh, for the government to basically say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to deleteriously impact our income. Uh, like the income tax collection by lowering the minimum. Like no one's going to do that. So don't expect Kenny to roll back the minimum wage. He'll instead find different ways uh, to cut taxes for businesses that are impacted by it. I'm just going to put a pin in this. We're going to come back and talk about tipping in a minute here because <laughs> sure. I just realized I need to rant about that a bit. Sure. Well, no, right. uh, so so here's what the NDP has has coming down the barrel. And I'm not saying that the, the conservatives don't have some some hills that they got to climb and some things they got to overcome. Like, I don't know, getting all their freaking MLAs in line and uh, getting them to stop <laughs> making news for the wrong reasons would be a great one. We're oh, a good like, place to start. Like marijuana is going to cause an outbreak of communism in Alberta? <laughs> but um, – so here's what the NDP is up, is up against. Uh, they're, they're increasing the minimum wage. Uh, they're they're going to start running into budgetary issues soon if they haven't already, right? Debt's increasing. Deficit's increasing. The numbers are going up. Are they going to stay up high enough to outrun it? Probably not. Um, this year, they're going to have to start negotiations with the nurses, with the teachers. Talk about raises. Compassionate cuts is the term that's being thrown around right now. So that means that no increases, probably no 0%, that people are going to start losing some money here pretty soon. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the groups that were backing the NDP en masse were the unions, were the teachers, were the nurses, those kind of people, people who are on the public roles. So now she's got to go to her base and say, mm, sorry, guys, going to have to start the cuts with you. That's not going to fly. It's not going to fly very well. Some of them are still going to vote, right? There's uh, people on the far left are still going to vote that way. But those people that were kind of wavering or thinking, oh yeah, they'll make a difference here, they're going to be out pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. Let me give it to you this way though, because you know I can't disagree with anything you said, but I would like to lob this grenade into this party. Um, why not just say fuck them? Who else are you going to vote for? Yeah, fair enough. And that's true. Like I said, I mean, the, those guys that you're worried about is that squishy center you were talking about. Right. So and screw the base. They know that they can't afford to lose those guys. They can't. No, right? they have to win there, right? It's like they have to those win. Those like guy, Gil McGowan, he might wag a finger and just talk about how disappointed he is in, in Rachel Notley and Joe Cece. But it's not like he's going to go tell like every union employee in the city or in the province, rather, like, yeah, cast your vote for Jason Kenny. That'll show him. Ha. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. I like sure. So Sorry. Even if we just look at you know those some of those writings where we're talking, okay, there was sixty percent uh, Wild Rose and NDP, or sorry, Wild Rose and uh, PC vote. Okay, yeah. So our, our electorate, and it's not fair to do this. We know that people vote for different reasons, but let's just do this for the sake of doing this. You're sixty percent likely to vote for the UCP in that riding, right? Forty percent or less, depending on who else was running in that that riding to vote for NDP. So the NDP, even before the word go, they need to pull at least 10% of that group over. Minimum, right? Right. The UCP, all they have to do is not lose 10%. Anybody they pull over is a bonus, right? Right. So let's just say that they're 10% ahead to start with. So now people going after the squishy middle, the squishy middle is already leaning towards the right. So how are you going to pull them over to the left? That's the question, right? Are you going to do it by 
by cutting the number of nurses and teachers and pissing off all of those people so that they're talking shit about you too? I don't know. Well, look, I mean, that's ultimately what the NDP has to do is hold the line and just say, look, you know, we, we, the cupboard is bare. We can sign the short term contract and they can probably put increases in way down the road or something like that. But, um, just to basically say no one's going to lose their job. I mean, this is kind of a lesson that happened in, in, uh, Ontario, right? That I'm, I'm really hoping as Kenny talks about modernizing the healthcare system and modernizing stuff, like, which is kind of code for change the way we do things, which is definitely code for a cut. Um, you know, I, I forget, was it Hudak who said, you know, a uh, uh, hundred thousand jobs, right? Because he's basically saying the public sector is bloated. We could do without a hundred thousand jobs, but he wasn't specific. And so that just gave Kathleen Wynne license to go to every single union and say – and point at the, at the nurses and say, oh, he's going to fire 100,000 nurses. And then the next day, she can go talk to the teachers and say, he wants to fire 100,000 teachers, right? And so they all just basically heard the exact same fire and brimstone preaching and just – it's like, OK, well, that's how Kathleen Wynne was able to win again, which is ridiculous. Right. I mean that's – you know, that's the most corrupt government I think in the, in the country right now. They're like – Ontario is a very sad state of affairs. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So anyway, I mean, I, I know what you're saying about, uh, uh, you know, Kenny just doesn't have to lose that 10%, but I fear and I, and, um, I don't, I don't think you have as much reason to fear or I have as much reason to fear, but I fear that with, you know, kind of the cast of characters, uh, that are standing up in the, in the ledge and talking about how like, you know, legalizing marijuana is going to take us down the exact same path that the opium dens did that led to communist China. Like that's some fucking stupid bullshit right there, uh, you know. And you got an MLA who who said it, which tells you something. Here's here's this is the only lesson you have to learn from this. Okay, that guy got that job. Okay, uh, Ron Orr, I think his name is. He got that job because nobody else was willing or interested in running for government in a riding that was only going to vote for the Wild Rose candidate. Okay. Right. So, I mean, do yeah, I, do I, mean, I make myself that, clear? <laughs> that's an argument you're going to lose 100% of the time. If the federal government's going to say, as of July 1st next year, pot's going to be legal, why, why try to fight the battle again? Right. Why don't you go, okay, well, how do conservatives deal with that? Right? How are we going to deal with this? Let's set up a structure. What would we do if we were in charge other than ban it, which you can't? Right. Okay. We'll figure out how to make money off it. Figure out how to keep it under control so that people can do whatever they want, but they're not endangering anybody else. Right. That's, that's the right way to go about it. To stand there and say, Oh, well, we're all going to burn in a lake of fire. Well, that didn't work last time, guys. Right. So I, I think that I'm confident that with Jason Kenny as the, as the show pony, right, as the horse that everyone is investing in here, um, that they can find 44 rock solid, um, candidates who, who, speak well in the ledge and can you know can carry a tune right and and 44 campaign managers and 44 constituency association organizers like because that's what it that's what you need that's what it takes to win and so right now between the pcs and the and the uh, wild rose if you think about it you've got 174 of these people right so uh, i think that all that really matters Right now, and I'm sure that this that the uh, the spade work is being done is to get together a slate of candidates that isn't prone to embarrassing things, 
and I'm sorry. And it's like, it's not a judgment on different kinds of Albertans and stuff like that. I thought it was quaint when someone, uh, I forget who the candidate was, uh, handed out flyers that said, bring your wife's pie, right? They're going to have like a pie, some sort of like, like it's, it's cute, right? It's parochial and it was cute. And it's like, and, and that's how life is in the country. And I get that. You know, I, I think it was, I thought it was quite elitist of city folk to be shitting all over that, funny though it was. But my point is, is that now you've got a pro, you got a major leaguer as the party leader and he just won a decisive election. This is the kind of guy who's going to put a machine together that says, hey, let, let's, let's take it to the next level here, okay? We're up against the NDP in Alberta. It's going to be embarrassing if we lose. You know what? You're, you're 100% on with that uh, and, and you just laid it out perfectly. You don't need to win. 67 seats. It'd be great if you won 67 seats, but you don't need to. You need to make sure that you win 44. And right. probably in doing that, you're going to win 60. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm such a, you know, database nerd that I realized after I had sat there and, and done all this counting that what I should have done is just taken that entire Wikipedia page, converted it over into a spreadsheet, thrown it into my, you know, database program. And then I could start running numbers against that thing to say, okay, well, what if 10% of every writing switched either left or right? What does that do, you know, to your seat totals? Just as based on, uh, on what we had last time, right? Right. And I'll probably still do that. I'll probably go back and go, okay. Well, what happens if ten percent of the vote shifts to the left? How does that change the number? Or how many of the numbers does that change? And it, you know what? Even a ten percent shift to the left with the combined UC, UCP vote might still not be enough, right? Right. But a ten percent shift towards the UCP—that's death for the for the NDP. It's death. Yeah, so I, I think we're into status quo right now. I, I, I don't think that the uh, Alberta party is going to be a force. Um, no. And I don't think that uh, – and I think that the, the UCP are going to – like, you know, OK. So just going back half a second to talking about winning 44 seats, right? If they were yeah. going to win 80, OK, like then they wouldn't have to do any work. Like that was the thing about Ralph Klein's majorities and, and you know, the Stelmack majority. It was like they just called an election and then they, you know, woke up the next morning and – they were an enormous majority, but but no, I mean to win forty four, like they're gonna they're gonna campaign hard in Calgary, and they're gonna work yep. the rural ridings. And I bet you they won't even yep. show. I, I bet you there'll be hardly anything to show for it in Edmonton. And I think that Edmonton will wish that they'd elected some conservatives for those four years following that election. Honestly, if I mean if you're if you're looking at the current layout of the legislature, a hundred percent of the ridings in Edmonton went NDP. By overwhelming majorities, those are not battleground seats. Those are not seats you'd want to try to win, right? right. If you don't need to, though, because there's only twenty of them, all you need to do, like you just said, is go after your base, which is in the rural ridings. You're going to win all those rural, rural, rural ridings, <laughs> right? Yeah, for rural jurors, um, you're you're going to win all of those, probably without doing too much work. Uh, and then you're right. All you got to do is convince a few people in Calgary, a few people in Lethbridge, a few people in Red Deer who are probably already leaning in your direction anyway. Right. Um, and you're going. Oh, I hovered over an ad there. See, that was, that was for pedigree dog food and they didn't wow. pay. They did not pay to get on the podcast this yeah. week. So I'm going to, I'm going to edit that out or else I'm going to say there's better <laughs> dog food. <laughs> um, Hey, listen, so, yeah, I, this is, 
this is interesting. I think I'm gonna. I think I am gonna do what I just said. I'm gonna I'm gonna run some numbers and see what they look like. Sorry, go ahead, Roger. Well, no, you you wanted to put a pin in uh, the tipping conversation, oh. and I want to get to that because yeah. I think it'll dovetail into that grocery stores are up three point three million dollars, and uh, I want to get to what you're watching because yeah. we always seem sort of rushed when we get to that part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. We were talking about uh, increasing the minimum wage, and this this fits in hand in glove with what I was just what I was just thinking, which was, and I, I actually texted you at one point, forgetting that you worked in the restaurant industry, and thus probably had stronger feelings. Uh, so the the minimum wage is what thirteen? Is it thirteen eighty already, or does it go up to thirteen eighty? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Next year it's going up to fifteen. We know that. Right. Yes. Next October. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, so within a year or so, it's gone up by a couple of bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so now if I'm understanding tipping correctly, and you'll you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, Roger. If I'm understanding tipping correctly, tipping is a percentage-based game. Spend $100 on my meal, and I decide that I'm going to tip 15%. I would then be tipping $15. Okay, continue. Okay, all right. So... If the cost of my meal increases based on, I don't know, having to pay the staff more or the food costing more, then the amount that that server is getting tipped also increases by that percentage. Correct? Correct. Because it's a percentage from the words per cent of 100. <laughs> That's how it works. That's exactly what it means. So if my server's getting paid more now, the reason that I was tipping before is because I've been told over and over and over that servers don't get paid very much and thus I need to tip them. Right? Yes. Are you still with me? Uh, yes. I mean, there, there's arguments to be made here, of course. Now they're getting paid more. So do I need to keep tipping them 15 and 20% like they keep telling me I should be? Or can we just go back to 10% because now they're getting paid more anyway? Am I being Steve Buscemi and Reservoir Dogs about this or what? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because if you whiteboard it out, then the, the logical path says basically, look, we're increasing the, the, the amount of money we pay the waiters and then we're also increasing the cost of the food. And where that, that increase should balance out is that you shouldn't tip as much. So if you go to countries where there's no tipping, you'll find bartenders that make 20 and $25 an hour and you'll find food prices that are elevated to cover the wage. But you also – but again, there's no tipping. It's not part of the social construct. Right. That, so that was my argument, right? So now the minimum wage is going up. Those servers are getting paid more. I should be tipping them less. Yeah, tipping is is illogical. Like, you know, I do it, and and the problem is that that um, the you know the food cost has the the price of food or the or the menu prices, I should say, haven't really gone up in a lot of the places that I frequent, or at least not that I've noticed. Um, so, and and I think it's because like if you look at what that chicken restaurant in uh, that Korean fried chicken restaurant in Toronto did, they put up a sign that said like "Thanks, Kathleen Wynn. Now we had to raise the prices." And it like blew up on them, right? They got mm. political about their business and, and instead of just, you know, either shutting down, taking your ball and going home, instead they tried to, you know, have this political conversation in downtown Toronto where there's certainly plenty of people who think that the minimum wage should be jacked up. Anyway, you get, you get the point, but, um, 
No, I don't know. It's just so funny to me, right? It's like if a bartender gives you a $4.50 beer and you 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 put $5 down, you're giving you 50 cents for reaching into the fridge and taking the bottle cap off. Like is that what that job is worth should pay? Cuz like, what's what, the percentage what, on that? Well, it's 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 I guess what is that? 11%, 11 or 12%, right? Yeah. So, but here's my question. Like what's the hourly Right on that. Like that guy should just be trying to open as many beers as he can. It's a one second operation. If he's going to be making, you know, 30 bucks a minute doing it, then he should probably, you know, be rocketing those bottle caps off. But, and then the other thing too is it's like, let's say, Dave, you and I, we go out for dinner and we're going to split the bill and you decide that you're going to have the cup of chicken noodle soup and that I'm going to have the lobster. Uh, no, I'm going to have actually the 24-ounce uh, New York uh, Wagyu beef, okay? But I want to surf and turf that, so go ahead and bring me that lobster tail as well. So we've got a guy who's going to come out of the kitchen carrying two plates, and for some reason, you're going to tip 25 cents, but I'm going to tip $10, and we've both tipped 10% for the exact same task. Like, it's completely illogical. It's, uh, I don't, I, I mean, I do it. I don't think that we shouldn't tip. I kind of like the whole, uh, you know, the, the $5 minimum wage and then you make your money in tips because it's tax free, right? I'm a pirate that way, but it is totally illogical. Well, and, and, and the whole who do we tip and who don't we tip, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. You tip people when you sit at a table and they bring you stuff. You don't tip people when they perform a service for you that you've previously negotiated a price for. Okay. So fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I get a little annoyed with this. I hate tipping. I don't hate servers. I think they do a great job. I think they work really hard. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I hate the fact that I have to actually negotiate and figure out the tip. I just want to pay. Just pay me done with it. Add it into the cost. Right. I'm that guy. Well, it's like Uber. Like, do you ever, do you use Uber by the way? I do use Uber. Do you tip on Uber? I do not tip on Uber. No, why would you? It's not the no. bargain. Like the bargain is here's how much it costs for that ride. You know who's sorted this out and done it a good job of it? What? Is skip the dishes. You just told me earlier you use skip the dishes, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you go in and you say, okay, I want this food from this person, as you're going to pay for it, there's a little thing that pops up and says, hey, do you want to tip the driver? And you can choose right then and there. Are you going to tip? Is it going to be your spendage? Are you going to put a certain amount in so maybe you're more inclined to tip. Why are you more inclined to tip at that point? So it doesn't spit in your food, I guess. I don't know. Well, not not even that, but maybe you're going to get a better driver. You maybe get a faster driver. You're going to get somebody who's like, oh, crap, there's 20 bucks to be made here. I'm going to jump on that. Okay, but that's a problem, right? Like, don't you think they should manage it so that you don't find out who tipped you? Like, you just do the job, and then at the end of the month, you just get a basket of money from all the customers that tipped you. Wouldn't that be way smarter? Well, maybe, but but the point I'm making is, they're incenting me to tip. Right. Because in my head, if I put a bigger dollar up there, I'm going to get my food faster. Right? I'm going to get someone who's a little more motivated to get my food to me. I wonder if that's the case. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I want to, I need a hockey who drives for skip the dishes to say, yeah, we 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 delivered to tippers first. <laughs> do you ever a, look at do you ever look at your half and go, yeah, screw that. It's only four bucks. Oh, that guy's gonna give me ten. I'm gonna take that one, right? Right. That would make sense, right? That's capitalism in action, is yeah. it not? Well, yeah. I mean, Uber's got some algorithm where if you deny a ride, like you get severely punished. Like, you know, so when I, when you hail a ride with Uber, then it pings all the it pings drivers in succession, right? Right. I think it pings you, and then you've got like a finite amount of time to accept it. 
before it goes down the chain, right? It's not like it, they just present it to absolutely everybody. But if you yeah. deny that ride, apparently that's like a strike and then it just won't ping you for a while. I wonder if that's how that's how Skip works or I wonder if they can line them up or I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. I also wonder why it's like takes sometimes takes 45 minutes to get my delivery from like, you know, five minutes away. Because by well, the I know time- why it takes me that long because like, they got to go over Nose Hill, but <laughs> they're walking with a, like Gandalf across the window. Uh, no, but it's you know like I look at that and and you only find out like at the end of your order, so it's like you feel like you've gone through this process. Now I don't want to just hang up and call it in. Yeah, like I think Skip yeah. still got some some issues. It's pretty cool, but I I just as soon go pick up <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It depends on how tired I am. There's a sushi place that we've been ordering from, and the problem that we have is because you're crazy hungry by the time you've decided to order food in. And so you're like, I want one of those rolls and one of those rolls and one of those rolls. And then the food gets there, and you got enough food for like 32 people. Right. You're eating sushi for the next three days. I'm trying to, to – okay, when you order Chinese food, what do you do? Do you order the combos on the back page or do you go through the menu? Uh, I don't order it very often anymore because I find it's always, regardless of where I order it from, it's the same lousy food. Yeah, it's true. But uh, uh, probably we would do the combo. And you do the combo for one more person than however many people are eating. Okay. Because you want leftovers? Well, because I want like if there's two of us, I want three dishes, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Three choices or something like that. It's probably more what it comes down to. Yeah, it's such – I'm trying to convince my wife that it's like you order the combo because otherwise you just have way too much food and it's like a waste of money. And then you put it in the fridge because you think Chinese food is going to be a good idea tomorrow. But then you, you microwave Chinese food and you're like, actually, this wasn't even good the first time. Like, like it's all, chi- It all tastes the same, right? I know. It's because ever since – see, we need if, – if, if we could actually get the DeLorean working, dude, I would just use it to go out for dinner in the 1980s, to go for Chinese food <laughs> in the 80s. Like, I'd park that thing on my driveway. Kids could look at it and, like, pose wearing, you know, leather vests and shit like that. But the only time I would ever spark that up is if I wanted to go to the Peking Dragon uh, – Peking Gardens, rather, restaurant on McLeod and about – Forty uh, Second Avenue, circa nineteen eighty six. Is it is it just that the really good Chinese food restaurants don't even bother doing delivery because they're crazy busy dealing with their customers in their restaurants in Chinatown? I don't know what it is, and it's like I want to go to the Chinese food restaurant that isn't like set up. The kitchen's not set up like a Subway. Do you remember how Subway had that thing where it's like there's five hundred and thirty six sandwiches here, right? Because it was just every permutation of ingredients and bread and it's like, okay, jack off. You got 12 sandwiches that people actually order, right? So but if you go to the Chinese food kitchen, like I guarantee you it's like they've got beef, pork and chicken. They've got white, brown and pink sauce. And it's like, so hey, look right there. We've got 58 dishes. (laughs) We got broccoli and snow peas and onions. I want to go back in time to when like not everything was deep fried and then just smothered in some sugary sauce. I want to like when they were making it with actual ingredients. Absolutely. Yeah. They, this place I go for lunch, it's on the, the plus 15. I think it's called Asian Gardens or something like that. And they do soups and they do, uh, the, the Chinese buffet line. And they also do like Japanese stuff, teriyaki and, you know, uh, yakisoba. And they also do Vietnamese subs and Vietnamese dishes because you're right. It's literally just like, oh, well, you want the chicken with the vermicelli? Oh, now it's a, Vietnamese dish. Oh, you want the chicken with some noodles in a soup? Now it's a soup. Oh, you want it with a fat noodle? Oh, now it's a yakisoba. <laughs> exactly, right? That's too funny to me. Oh, man. Uh, all right. 
that. You know, beleaguered talkies. Let's put this up on uh, on Facebook. And by the way, here's the problem with Chinese food, right? Is that you're, everybody's got like a Chinese food restaurant and then they recommend it. Oh, you got to go to Super Chinese Food in Oak Ridge. It's the best. It's not. Like you, you, I guarantee you've never given a Chinese food restaurant recommendation to a friend and they've been delighted with it. They're just <laughs> polite. Unless your favorite Chinese food restaurant is in Beijing. <laughs> in which case, it's just it's, a food. <laughs> oh, sorry. Bastard, I was just going to say that. In which case, it's just a food restaurant. <laughs> we were both reaching for the same punchline right there. <laughs> hey, listen, it's Johannes talking about your favorite Christmas movie. National Talkie League. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Ooh, well done. Are you, nice segue. Let's play the actual one here for you. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watching. You're watching TV. Are you, Dave, watching TV or are you, in fact, too busy getting ready for Christmas, taking your, your chillins out to the mall and stuff like that? Bite your tongue, Roger. I'm never too busy to watch TV. <laughs> uh, we had a great conversation last week about Christmas movies and it sort of carried over into my life and – uh our main man Keith uh, Callback has been has been discussing with me on Twitter at a great length about the uh, concept of the Christmas movie and what makes the Christmas movie the Christmas movie. So, as you know, we had some discussion about whether Die Hard was a Christmas movie or not. Right. And uh, so Keith brought to my attention today. He said, "You know, all those people that talk about Die Hard as being the ultimate Christmas movie, why aren't they talking about Lethal Weapon?" <laughs> Lethal Weapon takes place at Christmas, right? It ends with a you know fight on the lawn, Christmas Eve. So isn't it a Christmas movie too? Isn't it? Uh, uh, uh. And so now we, yeah. we so so Keith and I have basically taken to discussing every movie uh, from the genre that it barely touches on. So as I said, you know, you know, The Godfather is now my favorite wedding movie. Right. Right. Absolutely. So he had watched White Christmas on my recommendation and the opening scene in White Christmas takes place in Germany in World War II. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, yeah, it's my favorite war movie now. Right. They get on a train at one point. Oh, it's one of my favorite train movies. <laughs> so this is how I mock people about Die Hard now. Well, you know, I just watched Atomic Blonde and there is that party scene where the guy break dances. So it is my favorite uh, musical. Favorite breakdance movie. <laughs> favorite breakdance movie. It really, you know, it really puts uh, Beat Street. Uh, you know, it really sends a message. <laughs> so I watched the other of these sort of modern Christmas movies. I'm going to call them the modern Christmas movies. But uh, what the heck was that one? I'm trying to think of the name of the damn movie now. Is it Office Christmas Party? No, it wasn't Office Christmas Party. I watched that one a couple of weeks ago. It's the one with Seth Rogen and uh, – Oh, uh, yeah. The one where they all get they, – they, they do all the drugs and they go out for one yeah, last yeah, Christmas yeah, Eve. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. What's that called? Uh, here, I'll look it up while you talk. I can't Tell me think about of it. the name of it, and I'm embarrassed now because I can't think of the name of the movie that I was going to oh, talk don't, about. Don't be embarrassed, Dave. A man your age can't be it, expected to it, remember everything. I was going to say one crazy night, but that doesn't sound right. That sounds like the Adam Sandler, eight crazy nights. Eight crazy nights. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'm, I'm checking it as we speak. Uh, so anyways, I watched that one. Uh, it was kind of a fun, goofy movie. Uh, the Night like Before the, is what that's called. The Night Before. Yeah. There you go. And so this sort of takes the Christmas Carol path. They've got their drug dealer and they each get a vision of Christmas past, present and future. And uh, kind of go through there. I like the fact that they've got a, a Jewish character. So you get a little Hanukkah in there. You don't often get Hanukkah mixed in with your Christmas movies. Um, 
Miley Cyrus shows up <laughs> towards the end of the movie and they sing Wrecking Ball, which I've previously stated that I also enjoy singing. So, uh, so a couple things there. So that one's on Netflix. You can check that out if you haven't already. If you're a Joseph Gordon Levitt, Love Hewitt fan, you can watch that. <laughs> he's in that one. And Anthony Mackie, who's now a superhero, right. he's also in that movie. And they sing uh, Christmas in Hollis, which is, you know, a, an obscure Christmas rap song by the Run DMC. Oh, obscure? Well, I don't know. I guess it I doesn't. Mean, the same way, in the same way that Die Hard's a Christmas movie, I guess. Right? <laughs> no, that's not fair. It is a Christmas song. It was made to be about Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's all it's about. So one of the things I want to talk about, even though this segment is called What You Watching, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, Christmas music. Because we don't often get around to music on our little podcast. So uh, when do you or do you uh, intentionally listen to some Christmas music, Roger? Uh, You know, it's funny because in years past, I really haven't. And oddly, this year I am. So you're you're like you're turning on the radio or you're pulling out a playlist or something? What are you doing here? Okay. So my wife, as you know, is a tech blogger uh, yes. on techgadgetscanada.com. And she's got – it's it's weird. We've got Google Home and Alexa. Right. And oh, I just said Alexa and I've got the fucking Beep. thing in my on my desk and it's waiting for me to tell it to do something now. I hate this shit by the way. She knows oh, I, I hate this shit by the way. But I was going to yell something but of course Alexa can't hear me because she's in your ears or, or I'm in your ears. Right. right. Um, anyway, I'm not – this is a dot. I'm not sure what it does other than listen to me and advertise at me when I'm sleeping. But anyway, my point is, is that um, now you just say like, okay, Google play Michael Bublé. And then you start listening to playlists structured around that stuff. So it's kind of fun for that. But yeah. So anyway, I don't know. This is, I'm, I'm breaking like my cardinal rule here, which is when somebody asks you a simple question, don't give them a 10 minute story, but I want to know the answer. I want the truth, Roger. I don't want, I don't want some Pat, you know, set me up for the next line. (laughs) I'm not a radio guy. (laughs) Oh my God. It hurts right in my soul. (laughs) Uh, No. So anyway, so Roger, you've seen this, right? You've seen, seen this movie right <laughs> yes tell me what yes why are we talking about it now the, the audience is dying to know no so anyway my point is is that now we've got these devices and it's really easy to just go play some christmas music so i've been doing that and um uh, I, it's interesting because i listened to frank sinatra's version of um, Silent Night. Now, like the crooner Christmas stuff, that's my speed. The choral stuff, I have a small appetite for. The pop stuff, I really want to shoot myself in the face um, with, you know, a gun or a cock whenever I hear it. Uh, uh, <laughs> that took a weird turn there. Hey, listen, I'm just saying, I have a displeasure for that. In that. I just don't like that music, is what I'm really getting at here. <laughs> Um, so anyway, my point is that, uh, uh, I like the crooner stuff, right? But I heard Frank Sinatra's, um, Silent Night. And I think that while he was recording that, the engineers were in the studio, like phoning his family and saying, like, I think he needs some live in assistance now. Like, like, listen to that recording. He's like, Silent Night. It's like, I swear to God, in the second stanza, he's like, Where are my pills? I left them here somewhere. <laughs> that's awesome love it um you know what i think i'm a hundred percent in agreement with you about all of that um uh, my favorite really uh, the part about the gun and the shooting well that... maybe not the cock okay. um 
Um, but no, I, yeah, the crooner stuff is fantastic. Uh, my wife, I think, is responsible for most of my Christmas music these days. We have an old style five CD carousel. Okay, nice. Pretty much the only time of year we use it is Christmas, and she'll pull out her Christmas CDs, load five of them in there, and let her go, right? Most of the day you're getting. And so uh, one of them is always uh, John Denver and the Muppets. Cool. Yeah, nice. Right? Yeah. Fantastic Christmas album. Fantastic. Hang on a second. I'm one keeping of, a list here. Yeah. Um. So John Denver and the Muppets is on there for sure. Uh, one of them, 100% of the time, uh, Bing Crosby's Merry Christmas. Nice. And that is the king of Christmas albums. Her very favorite uh, Christmas song is uh, Melakaliki Maka. Melakaliki Maka is a thing to say. That's the one. Uh-huh. That's the Christmas song. Uh, and then the other ones, I think, are, are more sort of mixes and that kind of thing. Occasionally, we'll get a little, you know, Holly Cole, or you'll get a little something more modern. But generally, some of the crooners show up in there. I like to throw in, I like to throw in a little Johnny Mathis. Some people don't care for the Johnny Mathis. It's a little too on the croony side. Okay. I think Mike, Michael Bublé has a killer Christmas album. Yes, he does. I know that's not a popular thing to say. What? But it's good. Oh, screw those people. Those. No, there he. That's awesome. Um, also, uh, the only the only thing I don't dig is the Santa Buddy song. It just kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that song's horrible, no matter who's singing it. Right, the, but that that song to me is like the Christmas song version of um, Julianne Moore, or or not Julianne Moore, Gillian Anderson playing James Bond. Right, of like yeah, 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 like yeah. that's a song women should sing. Men don't need to sing that song. And it's dubious as to whether women should even be singing it in my books. Okay. It's just a terrible song, but um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, today I uh, had a little Josh Groban in the mix. Oh, see, you lost me. Yeah. You're not a, you're not a Groban fan. No, just in that. I don't like his music. <laughs> his, his, well, he's do like, well, he's doing Christmas songs. Yeah. So. No, he's not, he's not my speed, but I get it. I dig it. All right. Fair enough. So yeah, so let's talk Christmas if you want to, if you're if you're inclined as such. Gawk, really, whichever way you want to go here, Roger. Well, um, I do have a question about all this. I don't want to interrupt your your chain of thought here, <laughs> but I have a question for you at at some point. Um, uh, all I was going to say was let's let's talk Christmas songs. Like, what's what's horrible? What's fantastic? Well, like, what are the best? What are the worst? Okay, well, let's let's we've kind of we've kind of shit on some Christmas music already. And well, we've, we, yeah, we, I mean, we, in general, we've shit on one particular song and just sort of styles, but yeah. Okay. But I, there's one, like the, I think everybody has one Christmas song, not that it's like their favorite or not that it's just not Christmas without it, but that personally gives them pause and makes them stop and sort of like ponder the season, reflect, like, do you know what I mean? You kind yeah, of get yeah. inside yourself. Do you have a song like that? Uh, I've got a couple favorites. Uh, one of them, of course, Melakaliki Maka is great because, you know, it's my wife's favorite and I like the Bing Crosby quite a bit. Uh, his career would be finished if he was in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the most kind and giving person. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like that one. Uh, there's a couple, I, I don't know if particular versions, but particular songs that I think are, are stellar. I think White Christmas is a fantastic song, no matter how you, you know, get around it. Um, I think that one is uh, is is probably near or at the top of the list, and um, uh, the you know the Christmas song is right up there too, right? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, right? Nobody knows that's called the Christmas song. 
Yeah. 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 What do they think it's called? Chestnuts. Chestnuts or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are probably my favorites, you know, because it, like it's a good song. They can get really deep into singing it. Um, I've been reflecting a lot on "I'll Be Home for Christmas." That's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good song. It's like it's an easy one to croon, but it's a fantasy song too. It's because yeah. he's totally getting someone's hopes up throughout the entire song, and then he's like, "Oh, but it's only in my dreams." Yeah. <laughs> oh, bastard! <laughs> you just said you were coming home. You can count on me. Who exactly? You said this last year. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to sleep right through it again, aren't you, you jerk? <laughs> uh, Elvis. Elvis is on that five disc. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Actually, I can get into Elvis Christmas tunes. Yeah, that, that that version of I'll Be Home for Christmas. He gets really into the <laughs> 37 you know, notes for one, yeah. one word. I got to yeah. think that early in Elvis's career, there's some engineers who are just like, I can't okay, – stop. I, we can't understand you. <laughs> Uh, oh, Blue Christmas is a great Elvis one, right? Blue yeah. Christmas, we're out here. Oh, what? Like, if you take, uh, uh, Wait, what, what was that? Elvis, if you could take the food out of your mouth for this next take, <laughs> we'll just try it again. Hey, keep in mind, you're rent, you are renting this studio by the hour, young man. <laughs> I am, okay, go. <laughs> so, uh... So what about you? What's your what's your fave? This one you always got? makes me stop. Do you, you know this one? Do you know this one? Dan? When it gets going. Oh yeah. Like this song could always bring a tear to my eye. This is just Charlie like Brown song. Yeah. This is the Vince Guaraldi trio, and they did the music, obviously, for the Peanuts Christmas special. But I, I, I believe that everybody should have this Christmas album. And it's like, you know, put this on, uh, headphones only, put on a winter jacket, go walk in the snow, late at night when it's dark, see your breath, look up at the street light, it's the snowflakes fall through it. You just think to yourself, but all the people that love you and all the people that you love and how this time of year is a time when we should be unburdened of everything that we carry with us in our daily life and just release that hustle and bustle with one exhale and just think of the people that are close to you. This song, seriously, man, is like transformative for me. It just gets me every damn time. Uh, what do you think about you Mr. Rogers? How much I was waiting. For, I was, you don't know how much I was waiting for a punchline in that. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. it was going to be like, and then you jerk off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's the improviser in me. I was just waiting for the the turn at the very end of that. Instead, it was entirely sentimental. Good on you for that. <laughs> I like your version just as much. <laughs> oh, shit. And you hope your neighbor doesn't call the cops. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, that one. And, you know, on the crooner tip, uh, Diana Krall's Christmas album is, I think, just phenomenal. I really like I, – I've always loved her. Diana Krall was like my first like legitimate adult crush where I was like – I saw her on TV playing at the Montreal Jazz Festival and I was like, oh, my goodness. I should dedicate my life to meeting this Amazon woman with a beautiful voice. That's Mrs. A- Costello. Yeah, yeah, he ruined her for he ruined a couple of her best years oh, with her music. 
And this may be an unpopular opinion, but I believe that she also ruined him. <laughs> well, Elvis Costello was known for being an angry young man, right? Right. A guy who had a lot to say, a lot of venom, and he's just too happy now, and his music is suffering as a result. <laughs> I mean, all the best of them. I, I wish them all the happiness in the world. But yeah, he just ha he hasn't had any kind of anything to say about anything since that happened. I mean, I saw the guy live a couple years ago, and it was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but he's just he's just not writing anything anymore that anybody needs to hear. Does that make her a Yoko Ono? <sighs> no, she's got way too much talent for that. So. Right. Uh, speaking of Yoko Ono. No, I can't, I can't, I can't um, even we participate in this. Go on, go on. We were just talking great Christmas songs. So what are the worst Christmas songs? <laughs> this should be much easier, right? Yeah, and it's sort of like – I think that, that you can readily avoid most of these because they're played in like toy stores and like – you know, anytime you've got a mascot singing the Christmas song, it's unlistenable pretty much by my rule. So one of the ones that always gets thrown on here is by one of my faves, which is uh, which is The Boss. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, his Christmas song is, is often on that list of, you know, horrible Christmas songs, right? His Santa Claus coming to town. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not good. I'm not going to defend it. Right. Uh, it's pretty horrible. You know, I watched, um, I saw the video for the band aid song, right? And is Do that, they think it's Christmas? Yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? Uh, or no, we are the world, right? Is that, what am I thinking of? We are the world. We are the. We children. are the world was the U.S. one. Right. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. That's what I was thinking. Of. USA for Africa. There you go. Thank you. That's what I was thinking of. Um, I got the two confused. Band Aid was. Do they know it's? Do Christmas? they know it's Christmas? Right. Um, so back to we USA for Africa. We are the world. Um, have you watched the video for that? Like, does it seem to you like that was a pretty slapdash, thrown together routine? Oh yeah, yeah. And no, almost guaranteed it was after the Grammys one night. In fact, I, I would bet even money that it took place after the Grammys one night. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Cause then they're like they're singing off the sheet. Like they're nobody even knew the words yeah. and they're like lining up, walking up to the microphone. And then like, you've got Bruce Springsteen singing like he's, you know, having a surgery on a hernia at that moment. Like <laughs> the video is bizarre. And then for some reason it looks like, like they, they quarantined Michael Jackson in one half of the studio and like nobody wanted to go near him. It's bizarre. Quick trivia question. What was the Canadian song? Oh, geez. Right? Band-Aid did uh, – do they know it's Christmas? USA for Africa did We Are the World. What was the Canadian version? I have no idea. And I, I actually – I was the name. Okay. I actually didn't even know it existed. So I couldn't even make an educated guess. Uh, but Roger, don't you know the tears are not enough? Oh, man. What if I didn't cry? Like, does that mean I'm I'm excused <laughs> that I don't have to listen to the song? Who's in it? I want to know. Do you have a list of who sang that? Uh, yeah, I do. Here, hang on. I just brought it up. I would play it for you, but I don't have the same ability to do that <laughs> as you do. North of rights, thank God. <laughs> uh, so the soloist. Okay, wait, 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 wait. But there's oh. got to be a game here because I because okay. I legitimately yeah. want to take a crack. So here's what here's um, since you're looking at it. Um, yeah. So uh, let me tell you how it's laid out before you start guessing. Okay. Uh, so we got solo vocalists listed in order. We've got heard in duos or trios. Okay. We've got chorus members. Okay. 
and then we've got instrumentation and production. Most of those people are not people that you'd, you'd know maybe two, maybe three of these people. Okay. So I'm going to go with soloist and heard in duos or trios. I'm going to try and okay. know as many. Now, ballpark, how many of them are there? On that, there on are, that I'd list. say, about a dozen a soloists. Dozen. Okay. And there's about five listings of duos and trios. Okay. And then there's a few people who just did the chorus, and those people generally not as much singers. A few of them certainly are. Okay. And what year was this song released? This song was released in 1985. Okay. Here we go. And they're all Canadian, right? They, uh, yeah, I would believe so. I can't confirm that okay. every single one of them. But yes. Anne Murray. And Murray, yes, soloist. Luba. Uh, Luba, 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 Luba. Sorry, I'm just looking through. It's not in any particular order. I'm not seeing Luba oh, in the man. listing. She, was she too, may have been there. She's too busy cutting break free and go your way. Uh, okay, uh, Corey Hart. Corey Hart, soloist, yes. Right. Uh, Brian Adams. Brian Adams was a duo, yes. Right. Okay, uh, uh, oh, know, and I, a soloist. I'm sorry. Yes, I think I'm doing pretty good so far. You're doing fantastic so far. I could probably keep going down this path. Yeah, here. give it, give it, keep going. Uh, I'll see if I can get one or two more here. Man, oh man, why is this starting? Uh, is Laura is Gowan in there? Larry Gowan. Gowan. Larry Gowan. 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 I'm not seeing him, but that doesn't mean he's not in there. Gino Vanelli is Gino Vanelli on that list. Gino Vanelli. Where's Gino? Getty Lee. Getty Lee I'm not should be seeing, on that list. Uh, Getty Lee, absolutely. absolutely. Soloist. Hey, give us a couple more. Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, of course. Yeah. Bert, Bert Cummings. Joni Mitchell. Dan Hill. Neil Young. Yeah, I was going to say Neil Young. If Joni Mitchell did it, Neil Young did it. Bruce Coburn. Liberty Silver. I've never heard of Liberty Silver. It's Cockburn. Bruce Cockburn. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Mike Reno of Loverboy. Mm hmm. Oscar Peterson. Oh, great. The soloist. Yeah, the solo, yeah. jazz pianist. Yeah. And then I'm just looking to see if there's anybody in the, the duos. Oh, Alfie Zappacosta is in there. Lisa Del Bello, Carol Pope, and Paul Hyde of the Paolas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Mark eyes. Holmes from Platinum Blonde. Oh, nice. I'll give you the chorus real quick. I mean, we're spending way too much time, but I'll give you the <laughs> chorus real quick because it's, it's like some singers and some people that just showed up because they're famous. Right. We got Leona Boyd. We got John Candy. I was going to say, like, Michael J. Fox is going to be in here, isn't he? <laughs> Tom Cochran. Uh, sorry, t- t- Tom Cockburn. <laughs> uh, Tommy Hunter. Martha Johnson. Eugene Levy. Kim Mitchell. Paul Schaefer. Oh, right on. There you go. Jane Sibbery. Sylvia Tyson. Catherine O'Hara. Really? It's like yeah. like three members of SCTV popped yeah. by for this. Yeah, that's fun. And and your uh, your instrumentation people that you may have heard of. And you're you're more of a music guy, so you may have know more of these guys. But David Foster, I think, was the guy who put it, it all yeah, together. Yeah, probably put it together. Yeah. Uh, Bob Rocks in there. And okay. Jim Valance, I think you may know. Man, that's a see. That's now it's legit, right? It like. You got David Foster and Bob Rock having a conversation about, hey, hey, let's let's do our own version of it, and then they probably looked at the talent pool and went, well, we're not going to have Lionel Richie and, uh, <laughs> you know, Prince and Michael Jackson. I wonder if, if David. I bet you that David Foster probably did. Um, we are the world too. Uh, we could certainly have a look. Uh, do we want to subject the listeners to us looking? You can look that up. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. I was going to say, by the way, before we do this, and we're kind of nearing full time here to, to wrap up this uh, pre-Christmas episode, and it'll be – I guess this will be the last one, hey, Dave, before 2018. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about pre-recording the uh, Christmas episode. And then the next Monday after that, which is when we normally record, would be New Year's Eve. So I'm doubting we'll record that night. We may, if we get some free time over that week, we might decide to throw another edition up. I can't promise that because I don't know what your vacation time looks or your holiday time looks like. Right. Um, okay. So really quickly here before we get into the details about the Christmas show and how you can participate, how we really want you to participate too. Uh, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie wrote it. Wrote We Are the World and uh, uh, Quincy Jones uh, is one of the producers and and Michael Omarshian. So, <laughs> so you didn't you didn't need David Foster. No, you didn't need. You could sit that one out. Um, okay, so yeah, let's let's do this. Let's tie this episode off here, and then um, uh, as my clip is empty, uh, Dave. Um, but uh, we're doing something kind of kind of fun, kind of special for uh, for Christmas. It's not going to be the two of us with our strong opinions loosely held, uh, talking about uh, uh, you know politics and what's wrong with the world um, and how how things ought to be. Instead, we're just going to s- spread Christmas cheer, our own and yours. I like that. Yeah. So um, we've talked about this on the previous podcast, and uh, we've got a link up on the uh, main page on NationalTalkingLeague.com. We'll Uh, Leave the Facebook link up as well, stickied. And basically what we're asking is if you would be so kind as to record a little, you know, 20, 30 second, whatever it takes, just a little holiday greeting. Say, you know, you could put your name in or not. It's up to you. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Here's my Christmas wish for the season. Uh, we put, I believe, on that uh, that link, there's some suggestions about what you might want to say if you can't think of anything. We also invited our listeners to uh, create some bumpers, you know, like the stuff that Johannes does for us. Uh, we've had a couple sets in so far. Fantastic. Love them. So happy to hear from them. Uh, our buddy uh, Jordan managed to throw us some and Kellyanne, like professional quality stuff there. <laughs> Crazy how good it was. Yes. And Jordan had some really interesting stuff. I like many times, Jordan, I, I, you're probably listening many times while I was listening to the bumpers. I was like, Oh, how come we didn't think? Oh, how come we didn't think of that? Come on. <laughs> totally. So, right. yeah. so yeah, 2018 is going to be fun. Cause we're going to use a lot of those in the, uh, in the ensuing podcast episodes. Um, but yeah, so as far as the Christmas greeting goes, you know, um, Brian submitted one, uh, Kelly Ann submitted one, uh, Eric Jordan, you beleaguered talkies. So you can still get on board. Um, I'm the guy who, who kind of, I'm on the ones and twos of this podcast, Dave, you're the, you're the social media guru and everything like that. But I'm the guy who kind of mixes everything down at the end of the day. So I'm going to do the Christmas special on Saturday and we're going to time, uh, it's going to, we're going to set like the timer on it so that on Christmas morning, it'll be under the tree for you. It'll be like, there'll be no podcast waiting on Saturday night. No, no, no. Not unless you're a good little boy and girl and you go to bed and you behave and you make your mommy and daddy happy, okay? And then on Saturday, on Christmas morning, when you wake up, there will be a podcast for you. Yes, yes, yes. Love it. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so to that end, since Roger is going to mix this thing down on Saturday, if you're willing to do this, and, and we would love for you to do this, everybody should do this. Um, if you could have it in to us at mail at nationaltalkyleague.com by Friday night, Saturday morning at the earliest. After that, we can't promise anything. Um, we're going to have to throw some filler in there too. Like if we don't get enough of these things, it's going to have to be a little bit of us doing some extra ones or maybe reading some Christmas stories or <laughs> making up some Christmas stuff. So, uh, and uh, we're going to need some time to do that. So, yeah. So get them in brothers and sisters. Love to hear from you. Love to, love to, love to. Now the way you do it, okay, is you use your iPhone, your Android device, whatever, just use the voice memo recording app. It's probably built into your iOS uh, or your OS rather. And then, um, 
just, you know, record your greeting and then email it to us as an MP3 or an MP4, whatever the case is. Uh, like Dave mentioned, mail at nationaltalkyleague.com and we'll include it in the Christmas special. Nothing, uh, and you don't have to be zany or goofy if you want to send something sentimental. By all means, please go ahead and do that. Yeah, I, I mean, fantastic. I was listening to a couple of Christmas songs. I think one of the Groban songs I was talking about earlier, uh, it was probably I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it starts with a bunch of messages from, you know, service people overseas, right? right. In Baghdad, in Iraq, and that kind of thing. And that's sort of the vibe we're going on here. It's not, I mean, we're not obviously talking wartime or anything like that, but just love to hear from you guys for change. You guys listen to us all the time. Uh, and hey, if you are a service person and listening to the podcast, which I've never even thought would be possible, but I guess it is, then fucking full on, man, right on. Get Let us know. Get your message into us and we will play that thing a thousand times. Awesome. All right. That's it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we look forward to that uh, that Christmas episode coming out on Christmas morning for you. Uh, and then we bid you adieu until really 2018 when uh, uh, we got some stuff in store. So the podcast is going to kind of level up in the new year. We're excited for that. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.